This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Justin, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I know that you have an incredible story, and I've heard little bits and pieces from um, you know Preston and Tyson from Renaissance Ranch, and you work at Renaissance Ranch too, which is so awesome. Um, and I've shared before that Preston and Tyson, I probably wouldn't have had the guts to start this podcast had they not really like pushed me to do it. And so, um, yeah, so I really just think the world of all of you guys at Renaissance and, um, yeah, and I've, I've heard, you know, like I said, bits and pieces. And so I'm super excited to hear the whole, the whole thing. So you can just go ahead and start wherever you would like and we'll be going. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I, I appreciate being invited because, um, yeah, test, uh, Preston and Tyson can definitely push you to, you know, reach your potential, which is good. Yeah. I, I love working with those guys because they they saw something in me uh, of value, which was which was cool. And so I've been working with them for, you know, a little while now. So I enjoy it. But yeah, let me just kind of talk about my my recovery experience and everything that I've gone through in my life and how that relates to, I guess, the topic of the podcast, which, which is, you know, kind of people who have fallen away from the church and come back. Um, You know, my, my story starts, you know, as a child who never felt okay in his own skin. Um, You know, I, I grew up thinking that there was more to life. Um, as, a, as an early child, I, I never felt comfortable being just myself. I always wanted to be like that other person, I wanted to have, you know, bigger muscles, or I wanted to be, you know, more talkative or um, less anxious. Um, and I, I didn't make friends easy, which, you know, really kind of limited me, I guess you could say. Um, I, I, was a member of the church pretty much my whole life, wasn't really too active in my teenage years, but prior to, you know, about age 12, I went pretty much all the time. Um, And those are things that you, you know, the, the gospel truths and the principles that you learn, those, those stick with you. At least they did with me, they stuck with me. And so throughout my addiction, you kind of have that nagging voice in the back of your head of like, you know, better um you shouldn't be doing this and and you kind of have to say you know screw you or ignore it in order to continue in your addiction and then you start to build up this the shame bank on your back of reasons why you're a pos you know or reasons why you're not worthy um and and that was kind of hard and that was something i had to get through but um yeah i i was always pretty talkative um as a child until I started to get teased, I guess you could say. And so I got bullied in school, um, elementary school. I was bullied, um, had my ear, ear pierced in like, I think it was second grade. Uh, and in California back then in the nineties, that was kind of not a big cool thing. Uh, but I thought it was cool. I loved it. Uh, but I had it, I had my ear, my earring ripped out. Uh, I mean, there was just, yeah, it was crazy. Um, just constant bullying where I felt, uh, here's another reason why I can't be myself. 
And so I built this, this persona, I built this wall of who I thought other people wanted me to be, you know, and I really, I really kind of stuck with that. Um, and I think I was maybe 12 or 13 when I was introduced to, uh, to cannabis and it was like, uh, this false blessing in my life. I, I felt this is what it's like to live. Uh, anxiety went away. I felt like I could be myself. I could joke with others. I was talkative. I was friendly. I started to make friends. Uh, so it was a, a constant reinforcement of like drugs are good, uh, because they help you forget about other people. They help you to not get bullied or teased. Um, and what more would you want in life? You know, when you're, when you're stoned and you're laughing and having fun. And so, you know, little did I know that, Hey, those are super damaging to my, my brain, super damaging to my identity being, you know, formed and the friends that I was making. And so obviously I continued down that path of, you know, friends in low places, um, you know, started drinking age 14, 15, started trying harder drugs, uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, uh, moved from California to Utah, took that as a, as a fresh start of, you know, people don't know me in Utah and I can be who I want to be. So, you know, again, I was the, I was the cool kid from California who had his driver's license, uh, in high school. So that lasted all of about six months before I defeated myself, you know, the old me started to come out and I started to, to do drugs and alcohol again. And I started to, you know, really revert back to those trained behaviors of, um, who I think people want me to be. So I never was really myself. Uh, I never felt comfortable to, as I said, in my own skin to be myself. So I, I met a woman, I, I got, you know, heavily addicted to methamphetamines, um, you know, 16 years old, I'm, I'm using meth pretty regularly. I'm not going to school, um, got my GED and tested out, uh, found out, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time was pregnant. Uh, my parents, you know, they encouraged me to uh, do the right thing is what it was said was, you know, get married, raise my child, uh, get a job, support my family. So that's what I did. I, I got a job, you know, got married at 18, uh, bought my first house at 19, uh, pretty successful, always kind of in these leadership roles. Uh, I just, even though I wasn't trying for it, I always found myself in these leadership positions. Uh, people tend to gravitate towards me um, and take direction and want to be around me. And I thought it was strange because I didn't like me. <laughs> why, why do they want to be around me? You know, so. Were you using meth that whole time that you were, you know, after, when you were buying the house and, you know, all of that, were you maintaining your drug use? Yeah. So. It was, it was off and on, um, you know, during the pregnancy of my first uh, child, with my daughter, uh, I had stopped using. So my, my first wife, we used to use meth together. 
And when she found out she was pregnant, it was, you know, okay, we need to stop. And so I stopped with her. But then as soon as, you know, my daughter was born, I, I picked things back up again. Now, it wasn't always like a day to day thing at the time. It was more of what you'd call a weekend warrior or something. You're just kind of using on the weekends and then struggling to get up for work on Monday. Um, but it, it, it just progressed. Um, you know, my, my work started to, to suffer. My, my father was diagnosed with cancer and I moved him in with me. Um, and the VA was giving him just this exorbitant, exorbitant amount of pain pills that he didn't really use. And so he would give them all to me. Um, and so I, I was selling, you know, methamphetamines, I was working, I was using pain pills, it was just a recipe for disaster. Um, and at this point, I'm not, I'm not going to church, I'm not, you know, being a, a husband, I'm not being a father, I'm not being those things that, that a true individual, um, you know, a, a child of God, you know, I'm not, I'm not, doing those things that I know to be true uh, to myself. And so that's kind of eating at you in the background the whole time. Well, marriage is suffering. You know, I've got another son who's born. Um, and my my wife is, was done. She's like, hey, you know, I I was able to quit. Why can't you quit? And in my anger, my my answer was, I'll quit when I'm good and ready. But deep down, my answer is, I don't know how. And I don't even know. Yeah, it just didn't compute back then, you know. So I went to a, a treatment facility, inpatient, did 28 days, left, got about three months sober and relapsed again. So that was, you know, I'm in my 24, 25s, um, right before rehab, I had really started to delve deep into heroin and cocaine and meth, um, IV drug use. Um, it was pretty bad. I was, I was kind of on death's bed, uh, ended up in a couple of hospitals and then into treatment. So at that point, it was like a series of years of just let's, let's build myself up to think I can be sober and let's show my family that I'm sober. And then all of a sudden, let's pull the rug out from myself and all of them and, and relapse again. And so I, I probably did that over 30 times, um, at least uh, outpatient treatment facilities, um, another inpatient program, um, finally had my run in with the law. I thought I was, um, we call it terminally unique. You know, I thought I was better than other people. And so um, they may have all been, you know, homeless and, and busted, but I was, I was better, you know, um, probably worse in denial, you know, thinking, thinking that I'm better. And so I, I ended up in, in the prisons or jail system uh, in Salt Lake. And it was for some pretty serious charges. Um, I, I got in trouble for an aggravated robbery charge. Um, and it, it just tossed my whole world upside down thinking, you know, I'm going to prison for five to life. Um, and at that point, you know, 
of course, when you're sitting in a jail cell, you're making pleads, pleadings to God, you know, hey, just please get me through this, get me out of this, and I'll never do it again. I promise I'll I'll stay sober. And and you believe it. At least I did. I believed it. I thought I would stay sober. Um and and he did. He took care of me, you know. That's why I was there. I, I was probably gonna get killed or or kill myself. And so God intervened and put me in jail. And that's how I look at it now. And I learned so much from those those jail stays. Um caught in the the correction system kind of relapsing on probation ended up you know in and out of jails not holding jobs not being there for my kids um it was just a disaster over and over again just more reasons why i was a pos and more reasons why i can't succeed and i'm a failure in life so i finally kind of got my life together enough. Um, I met another woman. Uh, obviously, I, I, you know, we'll talk about it later, but I struggled with codependency and relationship and, and all sorts of stuff. And so I jumped right back into another relationship, I got married. Um, and I, I entered treatment that night. Um, literally, my honeymoon for my second marriage, I checked into a rehab. Wow. How did that come to <laughs> Um, well, I had, I had gotten arrested, um, while I was on probation and they were supposed to file a hold to keep me there, but they didn't. And so at the end of the three days, I was released and I'm sitting on the bench, looking at the payphone, thinking, okay, you're dope sick. You're, you're shaking. I've been throwing up like I've, I've detoxing from heroin and meth and, and I can call my, I can call my, my girlfriend, my fiance, or I can call, you know, the drug dealer. And I had a moment of clarity that I reached out to her. And when I talked to her on the phone, I said, I need you to come get me like right now, because if you don't, I'm, I'm gone, I'm disappearing. And she came and got me and, you know, we talked that night and she said, um, let's get married and let's get you checked into rehab. And so the next day I, I went to my probation office. I told him that I had relapsed. I told him about being arrested. Um, he handed me a list of treatment providers and said, give these people a call and stay in touch with me. Uh, I'll let you know if the judge wants to arrest you or, or talk to you. Um, so we went to the courthouse, we got married, and uh, I called a treatment facility and, and got checked in that night. So just a, a nasty, unhealthy uh, environment that I was in, you know, that I was caught in. And um, luckily for myself, it was a 90-day program inpatient, and then 90 days of, of outpatient, so a six-month program. And... Um, a 12-step program. And, and that was something that I had been kind of introduced to, but I had never really let it sink in, into my heart, into my, my soul of what the steps mean and, and how to work those. And so I, I got about 28 days into the program and my probation officer comes and arrests me and says, you're going back to jail. The judge wants to talk to you. Um, 
So I'm, I'm broken down, you know, emotionally, mentally, I'm exhausted. I'm thinking, you know, what's going on? God, I'm trying to do the right things. Why am I going back to jail? And uh, I get before the judge and he says, I'm done with you. You've, you violated probation. You've absconded twice. We've had to send, you know, major crimes after you. We've, um, I don't want you anymore. You're not a good candidate. I don't care that you're in treatment and you're going to prison. Um, the shock that went over me at that time was, was crazy. Um, and the bailiff kind of takes me back into my cell and it felt like an eternity sitting there, uh, but it was probably only a couple of minutes. And the bailiff grabs me and pulls me back out into the courtroom. And the owner of the treatment facility is standing up there and he's talking with the judge. And the judge brings me back out and he says, you know, that the owner is, is vouching for me. He says that you won't you won't leave the program. You won't go on anything. They're going to keep you there. You don't get to participate in offsite passes or anything like that. But I'm going to give you a chance to complete this program. Wow. So, yeah, huge, huge moment of, you know, what I call a God shot, you know. Um, but I'm so stuck in denial and I have such a huge ego that as I get released and I'm getting picked up by the program director, my cockiness, my ego, everything comes right back to me. And I'm just talking like, like I deserve another chance. Um, and he stops me dead in, in my tracks and, and says, you know, who the F do you think you are? Like, you don't, you don't know crap about recovery. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know anything. Um, you haven't gone to any optional meetings. You haven't worked any steps. You don't have a sponsor, <laughs> you know, you're, you're just doing what you think you want us to, or, you know, what we want you to do and, and saying what you think we want you to say, you're not getting real with your therapist. You're not doing anything. Um, I'll take you back to jail or you can, you can, you know, get honest with yourself and get honest with us and, and work a program. <clears throat> so I give it a shot, you know, I, he said, I want you to take every suggestion I give you and do it. And begrudgingly, I did them. You know, he said, I want you to go to the 7 a.m. optional meetings. I went to them. Uh, he said, I want you to get a sponsor. I asked a guy to be my sponsor. He turned me down. <laughs> uh, I got all pissed off. I, you know, uh, didn't want to do it again. Um, more reasons why I'm defective. Uh, and then... I asked another person, I got a sponsor. My sponsor said, call me every day. What are we going to talk about? I'm in treatment. Who cares? Give me a call. Uh, so I called him every day and, you know, Jedi, Jedi trick. He's, he's building rapport with me. Um, so that when, when it comes to the fourth step and fifth step process, I, I feel comfortable sharing, you know, at, at some point in the program, um, you know, God started to work in my life in a way that I recognized it. And uh, I was reading through the big book and it came to uh, a section that talks about uh, it's, it's step 11 and it's, I think it's page 87, 86, 87, 88. It talks about 
when we retire at night, we reflect upon our day. When we wake up in the morning, we think about the day ahead. You know, where have we been dishonest and selfish? And, you know, where can we be of service to others? And as we pause throughout the day, you know, we, when doubtful, um, we seek guidance. And I started physically uh, and, and mentally and with my heart doing those things. So every morning I would get on my knees and I'd pray. And, and literally my prayers started with, what up, God? Because <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable saying, dear Heavenly Father or Lord or anything like that, because I had a, a, a you know, God had a bullseye uh, that I was out to get him because X, Y, Z, whatever, pick, your, pick a number. Um, and so I'd say, what up, God, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm doing here on my knees, but I'm just going to read this passage and think about those things. And so that's what I did. Um, and I thought about my day, where can I be of service to others? You know, and I'd say, God, help me be of service to others today. Um, and then I would, you know, be open to those suggestions. And if somebody was doing something I could help, I started helping them with it. If if somebody wanted someone to volunteer for something, I volunteered for it. Um, at the end of the day, I did the same thing. Um, the biggest thing that I asked them for was help me to do the things I don't want to do. Uh, because I was, I was selfish. I was a taker, you know. I just took, took, took from everybody. So I asked him, help me to do the things I don't want to do today. <clears throat> and he did, you know, I'd, I'd say, oh, I got to brush my teeth. And I'd, I'd hear my voice. Oh, I don't want to do that right now. And then I'd hear my voice again. Um, you got to do it. And so I'd get up and do it, you know. Uh, so it literally went like that for the rest of my treatment. Um you know, I, I worked steps, I, I continued with my sponsor, I graduated the program, um, I went right into my aftercare, and, and I lived about, I was living in Salt Lake Valley, and treatment was in Heber City, so that was an hour and 15 minute, maybe an hour and a half drive, um, and I went to groups Monday through Friday, um, and I drove every day to work and I didn't miss a day for, for 90 days because that was what was suggested uh, of me. So I did it and it wasn't easy. Um, especially like when I got out of treatment, I couldn't, I couldn't keep my kids on the weekends. Um, I didn't know how to manage the stress. My, my ex-wife would call me and say, Hey, you know, come get the kids. I'd go get them. By the end of that night, I was pulling up my hair and wanting to relapse again, um, and I just didn't know how to do it. And so I would lean on the people on the program. I would call them. Um, I would unburden myself. You know, I would I would share my secrets, those things I was telling myself of. You know, um, oh yeah, just go relapse or just go have a hit. You'll be okay. Um, so I, I completed the program and had an opportunity to then work for uh, the company that uh, I went through uh, through treatment with, which, you know, during my, my aftercare, um, 
that was impressed upon me spiritually and emotionally of like you've done so much damage in your life you need to give back and so that was how I heard it was you know let's work in treatment because I had fun why not have fun in recovery and work with others and get paid to do it so um I started working for the program well uh, it was it was about uh, uh I'm not sure exactly you know I won't speak to the owners or anything but the program was going to close down because of management um and they basically got rid of all the staff the investors who owned the company um got rid of everyone except me who was working a graveyard shift and one of the therapists and then they brought in a new ceo and he gave me an opportunity because uh i asked for it like I just, you know, I have the mentality of the squeaky hinge gets the grease. So if you don't ask, you don't ever get to move up. You don't ever get to do anything, you know, if you never ask. And so uh, I said, I've been paying attention to everything. I went through this program. I, I, I think I can run this program, you know, give me a chance to help you out. So he did. Um, and he sent me back to school. Um, I went back to school for a substance abuse degree and and business administration and um I got halfway through that and I started to let my program slip and I started to treat my job as my recovery and um I stopped doing those things that were suggested I stopped going to those morning meetings I stopped reading the big book I stopped you know I was still in an unhealthy marriage um and and I relapsed, you know, I relapsed three years, three and a half, almost four years into recovery while working at a treatment facility. And it and it, that's not a good thing. You know, um, I, I was told by a counselor that I was going to kill someone. For me, deep down, because I had an ego, you know, everyone does. And mine was really big. <laughs> um, and you know that was when i met the guys at the ranch actually i had gone to a uh, a detox program and then um checked into renaissance ranch uh, in in 2015 and um it's a different level of treatment with the ranch um it's it's accountability to to an extreme um it's it's a male only facility and so there's an extreme uh culture of brotherhood of family um of of doing what's right um you know it's faith-based uh it's 12-step and and the brothers and the staff are, are you know they they helped me see my unhealthy marriage my my ego, uh, they helped me practice journaling, they helped me, you know, do the things that I needed to do in my life. So I, I did the inpatient program, um, only went a couple of months outside of treatment before I was like, Oh, yeah, I can work in treatment field again. So I went to work for another facility. Um, the owner of another company had said, Hey, I need you to come help my company. We're struggling. We've got some licensing issues. Help me get out of it. Um, 
I went and worked for them. I kind of revamped their program, identified a bunch of stuff of, hey, this isn't this isn't something I can fix because the owner is part of the problem. And, you know, the facility ended up being closed anyway. Well, when you're having to place 50 clients within seven days and people are leaving AMA and relapsing, uh, you take it personal. Yeah. You really do, whether, whether it's not, you know, mm -hmm. uh, still in the marriage, knowing that it's unhealthy, uh, but just too scared to say, I want a divorce. Um, and I relapsed again, you know, um, checked back into the ranch because I knew that was what I needed and went through the program again and got out finally took the suggestions of the divorce and some of the other things that I held out on just those reservations. Uh, best thing I ever did. You know, um, I, I took the suggestion of not dating for a year afterwards. Best thing I ever did. <laughs> I can't tell you how many lessons I learned by not dating for a year. Um, you know, the, the peace that you that you gain, um, the identity you form, um, by not doing that, you know, I felt that was the only way I was going to be, uh, ready for a true relationship, um, was so that I could be healthy within my own self, that I wasn't seeking others for, for my support, you know, for that identity, I guess. So, um, did some car sales for a little while, stayed out of the treatment industry because of all the bad experiences I had. And, you know, I didn't want to relapse again. And so um, ended up doing some consulting for some companies, just, you know, part-time. Um, met a couple different owners, had an opportunity to move to Pocatello and um, finally kind of hired into a full-time position again, managing a treatment facility. Um, I was hired to basically kind of expand upon a program. When I got here to Idaho, I realized, oh crap, Idaho is poor in recovery. There's nothing here. Um, at least there wasn't at the time. There was, I think, three residential facilities and maybe 40 outpatient, if that. Um, sparse recovery, 12-step meetings, just everything spaced out and just not very good. So um, had an opportunity to open up five other locations uh, for this company across Idaho. So, you know, expanded their footprint and, you know, really started kind of building a, a recovery network. Um, you know, all in all staying in touch with with the guys at the ranch and, you know, Tyson uh, reached out to me, pressed in and said, you know, hey, we want we want to go into Idaho. Will you, will you come work for us? And I, I turned them down, <laughs> you know, no, I don't want to do it. You know, I'm making more money over here and, and I'm happy and, um, uh, too much stress though. You know, like I, I was getting back into my ego a little big for my britches and, you know, thinking I've got it all under control and, you know, God had other plans for me. So, um, ended up, you know, meeting a beautiful woman uh, who 
who's sane, <laughs> who doesn't have the issues of relationship issues, you know, that, that the other uh, people that I chose to put into my life had um, got married, um, you know, before, well, backing up just a little bit, when I moved here to Idaho, I started going back to church as well. And so I, that was, that was integral for my life and for me, because I started jumping back into, oh, you know, there is, there is a, a gospel that's not defined by the culture, um, you know, so there's, there's eternal truths and principles that I follow, and, and that doesn't mean I have to like all the people that are in church, so that was kind of, that was kind of cool, um, so I started doing that, uh, what I was took, it like when you went back to the church for the first time and it had been so long since you'd been yeah. to church? What what was that like? It was it was really awkward. Um and I literally felt my 13-year-old self come out again of like hiding in the back pew, not wanting to talk to anybody. Um as when people did talk to me and they asked, you know, what do you do for a living? It was, you know, I, I manage a drug and alcohol facility, but it wasn't, you know, I'm in recovery and this and this and this. And so it was very kind of one-sided. Um, I wasn't going to any service events. I wasn't doing, you know, uh, any teachings or positions. It was just, um, I'm here to do me and I'm out. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it was kind of unique. Um, in that sense, I, I I went back to church a few times throughout my life, and I always felt very judged. Um, but I probably wasn't getting judged as much as I thought I was. It was more just in my head, you know, uh, my own judgment. And so uh, for the first time in my life, I had these goals now of I want to find uh, a wife that I can take to the temple. You know, I want to take out my endowments. I want to have, you know, a patriarchal blessing. I want to do these things that that the church, you know, asks you to do. Or, um, and so those are the things I started working towards. And as I'm working towards those things, God's putting more stuff in my life that's of of good. You know, He's he's putting the Dixons back in my life. He's putting my wife into my life. You know, he's putting, uh, you know, my kids and, and all sorts of things. The trust is coming back from family members and opportunities and, and just all these, these good things. So I finally, I finally give in and I say, okay, I'm going to move on. Um, you know, I, I'm going to move on, uh, but I still want to do some other things. Like I, I still want to, to open up my own facility. I still had, you know, pretty, pretty big aspirations for that. Um, but I want to go work with the ranch. It's, it's the right thing to do for me because it's, it has good values. It's, it's a good culture. Um, and I feel that I'd be of maximum potential to, to help others at, at that place of business. And so, um, you know, when, when the ranch opened up a facility here in Idaho last year, um, you know, I was right there and, and we're doing great things in Idaho and we've expanded and, you know, I just blessing upon blessing. I, I got married. I 
was sealed in the temple. In Nauvoo, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> what made you guys want to go to Nauvoo to get sealed? My wife. <laughs> she to. Yeah. She uh she had had that, you know, uh that dream um that that she was gonna be sealed in the Nauvoo temple. And so um you know, I wanted to make it come true because uh, I, I like doing things for her. You know, I like I like doing things that that make her happy. They make me happy. Um, and why not? You know, go to to Nabu Temple. It's it's a beautiful place, and it has a lot of historical meaning. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. You know, I I married into a large family. Um, and and blended families are tough, you know. They they really are, and there's a lot of challenges that come with it. But it's so much more rewarding than it is a challenge. Like it's yeah, if you're gonna put a comparison, like you've got challenge, you got reward, you know. Um, and so it's it's very you know I I have loving family that's accepting uh, in my life now. Um, you know, just recently, I was able to uh, to acquire and get my own uh, facility opened in Pocatello. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, oh, well, yeah. you're still at the ranch though, and you're yeah. working at your facility. Yeah. So I I have a business partner who takes care of the day to day operations over there. Um, oh my gosh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, it's just kind of you know here's my vision um you know let's let's try to get that going and so that's that's what's going on right now and and it's been tough it's been a struggle you know you have to separate um you have to delegate your time you have to you know make sure that you're paying attention to certain things you've got you know business that business ethics and all sorts of stuff and you know it's i didn't i honestly didn't know if i was going to be able to do both and I still don't know 100% that I'm going to be able to accomplish both. Um, but I, I don't want to leave the ranch, you know, that's, that's my, my keystone to recovery. Um, at least the support and, you know, that I get from the staff and the brothers. And, you know, I think what they've built over the last 20 years uh, is nothing in comparison to what I've, you know, just started. And so, yeah, if, if stress comes, um, you know, it's like, Hey, how do I figure out how to get the stress back down so I can, you know, manage everything I need. Yeah, exactly. And focus on what's important. Um, so having guys like Tyson to, to give me that feedback of, Hey, what's going on with you? You know, uh, that's, that's essential for me. And that's the culture that, that I have in my life in recovery. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the, the gist of the story. Like there's going to be a lot of little questions and things that I missed in between, but yeah. yeah. So I'm curious to know what was the turning point that made you want to come back to church of all, like you've, you got sober multiple times. Yep. You, you know, what was the turning point that was like, this is, you know, this is the game changer for me. That's going to push me back. Yeah. I think, you know, in my life, I have to boil it back to like baptism. So like when I was baptized, I was given, you know, confirmation of the Holy ghost. And from that point on, 
I, I had a conscience. I had, you know, something telling me this is right, this is wrong. Um, you know, these are things of good and these are things of, of not. And um, the whole time in my addictions in my life, I, I've got that voice, that nag in the back of my head of like, hey, this is, this is a good church and these are good things. Um, you should be doing them. And so throughout my life, it's, I'm not ready. I'm not worthy. Um, uh, when I'm, you know, maybe later, those types of excuses and justifications. And I finally just reached a point where I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to give the commitment. I'm ready to give what it's going to take to, to insert myself back into, you know, to Christ, into the culture. Um, I want the blessings that it's going to give me. And I, and I want those good things in my life. Um, they make me happy. <laughs> they do, you know, reading scriptures gives me joy. Um, spending time with, with, you know, a partner who enjoys those same things gives me joy. Um, and, uh, I finally felt like I deserved it, you know, that I was ready for it. Love that. So Justin, you are one of the smartest, just intellectual. You're just so, I don't know, you're so sharp and you just know a lot of stuff recently. Uh, well, I mean, you know, just kind of that's something that's been very loud on social media and whatnot is a lot of people leaving the church over many different things over either yeah. church history stuff over church culture stuff over, you know, for whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that, you know, people encounter and they, um, you know, pulls them away from the church. And I'm, I would love to hear your thoughts on how do you, face like challenging questions or, you know, how, like, what kind of anchors your testimony when there's a lot of things out there that, you know, shake a lot of testimonies? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for me, it, it just goes back to like the, the challenge or the invitation, I should say, in the beginning of the Book of Mormon, it talks about, like, if you read this Book of Mormon with an open heart and ask of God, if this is true, then it shall be given to you, you know, the knowledge shall be given to you. And so as the world, you know, gets more and more chaotic, and as social media and, you know, people have these, these very, very, very convincing reasons of why the church is evil or you know the, the things that are being said or done are not right um i have to take it back to the simplistic part of give it to god and and pray for feelings of right or wrong and so every single time he's given me the confirmation of, yeah, this is great. Um, you're doing the right thing. Just keep doing it. Uh, don't pay attention to that or, you know, Hey, that's, that's, that's human nature. Um, the, the church, I think gets a rap for being perfect when the church is imperfect. 
the gospel, the principles are, are true and, and perfect. So if you stick to those principles and, and the gospel, uh, then I think, you know, for me, it's never let me down. Um, you know, the law, the laws that they have, like the law of tithing and the laws of, you know, service and things like that. Those have never failed me. It, now, people are fallible and human nature. So, yeah, people are going to piss you off and people are going to do things that don't make sense. And, you know, there's even going to be bishops and leaders and all sorts of stuff where crazy stuff happens. And you have to, you know, just look at it and say, is that God or is that human? Um, and, and then you've got to pray for your direction, you know, take yeah. it back to that invitation of, you know, is this true? Um, what, what advice do you have for somebody that is struggling to come back to the church? Um, yeah, I mean, coming back to the church, that's a tough one because it, it's going to be a different reason for everybody on why they stay, um, away from the church. But, um, I mean, uh, for me, I, I would just advise people to, to really take a look at why they're staying away from the church. Is, is that really a good enough reason for all the blessings that you could have? Um, and if you don't like to go to church, don't go to church yet. Practice the principles in your home, in your own life, and see if those are giving you the blessings and the things that the church says that they're going to give you, you know, um, put, put it to the test. That's what I always say, you yeah. know, put it to the test, like, you know, pay your tithing and, and see what happens. Um, you know, go say your prayers, get up in the morning and get it, you know, at night, say your prayers, read some scripture. Does it feel good? Does it not feel good? Um, those are the things that, you know, I think are going to just ring true for people. Now, uh, if you're struggling with anxiety or fear and all that type of stuff about returning to church and feeling judged, that crap is real. Like that's, <laughs> that's rough. Um, and I had to get through that, but the only way for me to get through that was to force myself to do it. And then to talk to people and make friends because, People are afraid of the unknown. People fear what they don't know. So if you show up and don't talk to anybody, they're just going to pass judgment or they're going to assume uh, and you're going to assume what they're assuming. And it's just, it's just a disaster. So you just, you know, cut it, cut it out and talk with them. Uh, get pe let people get to know you because every person in this, this world, I think has value. Um, and we're all unique and we all have gifts. And so if you're true to your, your gifts and you're true to your value systems, then there'd be no reason why people don't like you. Um, so I love that. Well, this has been so awesome. And I just, your story is so amazing. And I, I just appreciate you taking the time with me to share your story. And it's incredible to see how 
God can take somebody that has all these problems and struggles. And I mean, I know from my own personal experience and yeah. um, turn you into something so awesome. And, you know, you have this beautiful family and, you know, you just got married in the temple. You have an awesome company that you work for and you just started your own. Like, it's yeah. just incredible to see how the Lord can totally transform people's lives. So thank you so much for taking the time with me and um, I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, anytime. I mean, getting in front of a camera and, and telling your story, answering questions, it's, it's, you know, it's full of anxiety at first, but, you know, once you get into it, you know, you gave me a good experience, Ashley, and thank you so much for inviting me and I'd, I'd be willing to, you know, answer questions anytime and, and share my story again. So awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, there's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.